Because remember, if we, if we begin to look at events or external stimuli as demands, rather than stressors, then we can begin to shift the way that we respond to them. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hello, my buddies. Welcome back to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. And I have a treat for you this week. I was invited to be on my fiance's show. You may uh, know Giovanni. He's been he's made a couple of appearances on the Better Podcast, and I am proud to say that he has launched his own podcast called The Gifted Show. So you can subscribe on the YouTube's uh, or on iTunes, as I hope you are already subscribed to Better. And he invited me on to talk with two other notable speakers on what to do during troubling times. Now you might imagine um, I was very keen to talk all things brain, but before I get into what we discussed, I want to just introduce some of the other speakers. The first is Dr. Jillian Mandich. Now Jillian and I have been friends for many years, but beyond our friendship, she is quite an accomplished researcher. Uh, she's a published researcher, a two-time TEDx speaker, the founder of the International Happy In Happiness Institute of Health and Science Research. Uh, she's regularly uh, does a lot of media uh, across Canada and the US, and um, one of the only doctors of happiness on the planet, very, very well uh, researched. And she talks about this idea of, you know, the pursuit of happiness is not a thing, but there's definitely a science to it. So she was on the show. And then my cousin, Sonia Zarbatani, who some of you may know of our, uh, uh, in our familial ties, but she is an international speaker, a coach. She's based out of Montreal, Canada. Uh, very inspirational speaker. I think you're going to really love what she had to talk about today. So what did we cover on this special episode? Well, the title and the topic was what to do in troubling times. And as you may imagine, we live in some crazy times right now. There are wars are raging. There are pandemics that just won't quit. Uh, there are regulations uh, and uh, maybe overreach by government uh, making, and of course, inflation and all the things that can make life incredibly difficult and scary. So Giovanni wanted to bring all of us together to have a robust conversation around this. So we talked about subjects like um, how we can, and this was kind of my jam, talking about the frontal lobe and how we can actually strengthen our reserves, how we can change the way that we view stressors. So I was talking a lot about how we can look at external stressors, not as stressors, but as demands, and some of the ways that we can cultivate 
cellular grit and resilience. Uh, so there's a lot of conversation around that, a lot of conversation around as we try to repress things, um, that it can activate pleasure centers in the brain. Uh, talked about the idea of resilience, uh, the idea of being present and what that means, focused, uh, being focused. Uh, Jillian talked a lot about resilience and happiness and how we need to really shift the way that we view happiness. It's not some medal that we get at the end of the race when we've been miserable for years and we're like, oh, look, you made the money. You should be happy now. Um, she talks about actually reverse engineering that so that we are happy first and then the success follows that. And then Sonia uh, was talking a lot about how we can be present in the moment and trying to derive everything that we can in the present moment and not worry about the future. I really enjoyed being a part of this panel. I'm actually separately uh, going to have Dr. Jillian Mandich uh, on the show so her and I can continue to geek out about happiness research. So you'll expect that coming in the coming months. I hope I'm really looking forward to our conversation. But in the meantime, please enjoy Giovanni's new podcast and me as a panelist on The Gifted Show. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. Reality. All that is perceived to be real within a curated construct. You've been pushing happiness, meaning, joy, trying to live out your existence in a state of positivity, but constantly finding resistance. But what if there was a way to reshape your reality? to break free from this structure and become the architect of your own true happiness. To help you on your gifted path, your next set of remarkable masters are waiting. An international speaker who helps people design their dream lives. A doctor of happiness recognized as one of Canada's most powerful women on a mission to help people live their best life ever and a number one best-selling author and a pioneer for women pursuing excellence, who will all help you answer the question, how do I design my best life ever? Today, you're in for a treat. So, there's a lot going on in the world, and there's... Uh, always a lot going on in the world. And I speak to so many people in our community who are either stressed or feel overwhelmed or maybe fearful, or maybe there's a little anxiety, maybe a little panic. And I wanted to help. And I wanted to reach out to the three wonder women in my life 
who I know can help in this conversation. And the first one is uh, by proximity, the closest to me because she's literally in the same house. Dr. Stephanie Estima, my uh, fiance, my partner in Shine. Welcome, Stephanie, to The Gifted Show. Thank you for having me. And uh, our next guest is um, a, a friend who's been a friend for years, and she uh, is one of the most fascinating humans on the planet. She is a doctor of happiness, happiness researcher, an expert in happiness, and there's not too many of those. So welcome, Dr. Jillian Mandich. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. And I am coming to you from Costa Rica, one of the happiest places on the planet. So I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and as Stephanie said here, she's definitely one in a Jillian. And finally, uh, uh, coming to us from Montreal, Montreal, uh, one of the greatest coaches, both for life and business and performance and all the things, Sonia Zarbatani, who teaches people how to live a 10 out of 10 life. Welcome, Sonia. I'm so happy to be here. I can't wait. This is amazing. Hi, everyone. And she's, and she's my cousin. And she's my cousin. Well, I <laughs> want to tell a, a super quick story on that because I knew both of you before you knew that you were related. And someone, you know, people tell me I'm a great connector. I'm a super connector. I like to connect people. <laughs> and I think the greatest connection I've ever made is two people who are cousins who didn't know. So, um, uh, you know, Stephanie and I have been together for years and someone introduced me to Sonia as an amazing speaker and as an amazing coach. And we had an amazing first conversation a couple of years ago. And the whole time I'm thinking, there's, there's something about you that's familiar. <laughs> something about your energy that's just, it, it feels familiar. And when I, when you told me your last name, it's the same last name as Stephanie's mom's maiden name. And I asked Stephanie, do you know this person? And she said, no. And then when the two of you connected, you did some family tree discussions and realized, oh my goodness, we're actually related. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the most beautiful thing is, is, you know, we're, we're related by family, but we're just, I, I love her so much and she's so wonderful. And it's, it's just, you know, energy seeks energy and it's, it's beautiful. It's fun. <laughs> Part of today as well is that for my own journey, if I rewind the story to, let's say, 2008, that year, uh, my, my marriage failed, my first marriage. Because of that, I went into a deep spiral. My business failed. Uh, I felt hopelessness, uh, extreme depression, panic attacks so severe that I thought it was a heart attack where I called the ambulance and fast forward to today, and I feel equanimity, which is, is basically the idea of being peaceful, even in crisis. And I think I'm one of the calmest people I know. Uh, and I experience that peace and joy and happiness. And uh, we, Stephanie and I live and lead a dream life together, dream relationship. We have a dream house. Uh, we're both doing work, and actually the four of us are doing work that is completely fulfilling and meaningful and inspiring that lights us up where we get to work with incredible humans. We get to create transformations. And what I really want to dig into is how everybody here with us and everybody watching and listening can emulate this because I believe it's possible for anybody. 
And I know that the three of you have incredible expertise, wisdom, uh, knowledge around this conversation. So maybe, Sonia, let's start with you. What is a 10 out of 10 life? How do you define it? I love this. To me, the most beautiful, um, what I can start with is just, we all have our own definition, right? So, and this is my book, it's how to live your 10 out of 10 life. And the first thing is, is we all have these different categories in your life, whether it's your health, your body, your mindset, your relationships, or in your business. The beautiful thing about this right now and about this today right now is we at any point in our life can create what that definition is. And my definition is going to be different than yours, Gio, and then Jillian and Samantha and Ronnie and Kate, Katie. And that's so, so, so beautiful. So I welcome you, you know, today to really take notes and to really go. We would love to know one, what's your aha moments of today, but like, what are you actually going to implement? Because we do these events and speeches all the time, but the most important thing is what will you actually implement? Right. So if today, the first thing that you can get clear on is like, well, what does happiness mean to me? Right. What does, you know, the ideal family situation mean to me? What does the ideal business mean to me? How am I happy? Right. My definition, not my mom's, not social media, not society, not Jill, Steph or I, but like, what's your definition of happiness? I love that. And Jillian, I'm actually curious what your definition of happiness is since you are one of the leading experts in the world on the topic. So I have two answers. If I put on like my academic hat, right? Because the thing is about happiness, every single, if I was to ask every single one of us here today to define happiness, I would get similar, probably the different answer to every single person. Um, and that's cool because it is a personal thing. And also sometimes it's hard to encapsulate feelings into words. They fall short sometimes. Right. Um, now as a researcher though, this is highly problematic because at the beginning of any research study, I have to define every single term that I use. Um, and so in a research study, the definition that I use, um, comes from Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky, who's in California. And, uh, the definition is that happiness is the experience of joy, contentment, and positive well-being combined with a sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. And the reason I like this definition is because it kind of has range, right? There's how we're feeling right now, but also it could be peace, right? Like if I go to a yoga class and I leave on like this bliss cloud, I would say I'm happy. And yet when we were watching the Super Bowl and someone gets a touchdown and they do their end zone dance, they're happy too, right? We express it differently and we feel it differently depending on the situations. But there's also this other piece, which is like longevity, purpose, meaning. And I feel like both of those kind of together create this definition. But even more so than that, like from a personal perspective, uh, Rick, it's Dr. Sonia Libomirsky. And by the way, she wrote a book called The How of Happiness. If you love research, it's a great book. Um, I feel like it's such a personal thing and it's continually evolving. And so instead of like, you know, happiness is not a destination, right? We don't just like arrive at it one day and we figured it out. It's always evolving. And so for me in my personal life, uh, I live every day, like it's the best day ever. And that's not to say that every day is amazing and easy and fun. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life is sad, but even in all of those things through the lens of it being the best day ever, it shifts how I see the world. And that's how I personally um, live happiness in my life. But is, is happiness not a 
byproduct versus an outcome. Meaning I, I, I feel like people often, if they were writing a list of goals, it's like, be happy as the goal, as the destination, as the outcome. And yet I find happiness is a byproduct of something else, maybe yeah. something uh, worth striving for or something worth meaning or even in grueling or, or some kind of journey where the journey itself creates the happiness. That's exactly it. Because like happiness is not a destination. It's a practice. It's something that we have to work on our entire life. And I think that there's actually research um, in the scientific literature. It's sometimes referred to as like the dark side of happiness, where people who set their goal as to be happy all the time, those people are paradoxically less happy than other people. And when I first read this literature, I was like, hold on, that doesn't make sense to me because if your goal is to be happy all the time, even if you don't reach your goal, like you're still trending in the right direction. Right. But it's not that way because think about it. If you set a goal and you don't reach your goal, then what happens? You feel down on yourself. You get hard on yourself. You feel discouraged. And so when I think about happiness and when we see it as a practice, as something that we have to do instead of an outcome that we achieve, then it changes the lens, how we see happiness. And, you know, like you hear a lot of people I want to grow up, work really hard, I'll be successful, and then I'll be happy. Right. And what we know from research is that it actually goes the other way. So happiness precedes success. Success does not lead to happiness. You can't be miserable and grinding your whole life and then think one day you're going to wake up and be happy. If you're not happy along the way, then you don't just find it in the end. So part of, I think, happiness is really reframing how we see it and seeing it as something that we have to work on and not something that we're going to achieve because we don't just like get it. And then we're happy for the rest of our life either. Right. That's not how it works. Brilliant. And one of my favorite aspects of today's conversation is that I get to share Stephanie with all of you. So in our home, we have really deep, profound, awesome conversations. And half the time I wish I'm filming because everything she shares with me is so Epic. And one of the things recently was um, why we get stuck in uh, negative cycles or behaviors that don't serve us um, based on sympathetics and based on the pleasure centers of our brain. Stephanie, can you share what you shared with me? I think it's so profound. Yeah. And this is, this is kind of just building on uh, what Jillian uh, was just so eloquently explaining. I think sometimes the expectation, as Jillian said, is that we're going to be happy all the time. Or, you know, it's, you know, when you ask a, a parent, like, what do you want for your kids? I just want them to be happy. You know, I want them to grow up and I want them to be happy. Right. Um, but I think that um, being happy, we also have to understand that you're not going to be like flying high all the time. It's not going to be unicorns and sparkles and rainbows. And this is actually something that I've learned from Jillian and being happy, I think, or the, the pursuit of happiness, if you will. Um, there are other elements to it. Like when you are not feeling joy, when you're not feeling blissful, when you're not feeling your best self, what are some of the things that you can do that are gentle and giving yourself grace? How can you self-regulate? How can you have introspection? How can you connect to yourself and feel your feelings? Um, you know, how can you, you know, and maybe this is a bit more stoic, but how can you just accept what is right? Rather than saying, well, gosh, there's like some, there's a war going on in this country. And like, these are the regulations, like, how can we just accept what is right now 
and have the courage to feel our feelings. I think so much of, at least what I see, and I see some of my uh, esteemer practitioners in here. I'm so happy. I see Sammy. I saw a couple, I think I saw Genevieve and a couple other people in here as well. So welcome. Um, one of the things that I see so often in at least practitioners, because these are the, these are the people that I am like just falling in love with teaching and helping them up level is that we are, and this is not just practitioners. I think this is just like a human thing. We are so hard on ourselves. We're like, gosh, Karen looks like she's got her life together. Amanda over there, Amanda Kirkland. Like, I just love her. Like her home looks so beautiful. I just want to like, I don't know whatever she's doing. Like I want it. Like we have this like comparative you know, comparison-itis, you know, it's not a word, but whatever. Um, and what ends up happening, you know, in, in, in a neurological sense is when we are trying to restrain, restrain, restrain our feelings, we're trying to shove them down into the pit of our body. Uh, it's kind of the same thing that happens when we're on a diet and it's overly restrictive and we're trying to stay away from the chocolate cake at all costs. It ends up activating pleasure centers in the brain, um, which again, paradoxically, you would never think that trying to stay away from something activates these pleasure centers, but then let's say you have a piece of the chocolate cake, what happens? You end up developing a case of the effetitises, right? Like the, you know, you chuck it in the effet bucket, right? We'll keep it, we'll keep this PG so you don't get an E on the on your podcast <laughs> recording here. Oh, E's, right? E's are fine. All right, you chuck it in the fuck it bucket. And then, <laughs> and then you're like, whatever, I had the one piece, now I'm gonna have the whole cake, right? It's the same, we do the same with, in terms of trying to restrict our, our behaviors, we do the same with our emotions. And so I think that when we allow ourselves to uh, feel what is, it could be good, it could be bad, it could be ugly and not judge ourselves for it and allow for a little bit more uh, compassion, self-compassion. Like I would never, you know, if, if, if Sonia, you know, FaceTimed me or texted me and was like, listen, I'm having this really like, you know, issue with whatever school or my son or whatever, I would never be like, you know what, get your fucking shit together, Sonia, and like step up because this is unacceptable. I would never talk like that to her, but we talk like that to ourselves all the time. We, we are our own worst critics and there's nothing wrong with having an inner critic. Like we will always have one, but learning how to become more of the observer of that voice rather than the recipient of that voice, I think, um, can really serve us in the long run when we're thinking about happiness, because then what happens is we can recognize some of the neurobiology that's happening. We can recognize when we're feeling dysregulated, and then we can over time develop habits like meditation, like breath, like affirmations. Like I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot of that today, uh, that will help us, uh, improve the connection that we have, uh, to ourselves. So yeah, I always say become a critic of your inner critic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? So true stuff. Sonia, you help a lot of people and I'm willing to bet there's a pattern you've spotted that people play small or they don't play full out or they hold back. Why is that? And what can we do about it? Why are we, all of us, even myself, why are we holding back? I coached about this about an hour and a half ago, <laughs> literally. And I, I think she's even here and I hope she is. And we literally coached about this. And so much of it comes from our childhood. So much of it comes from, you know, what were you told as a child, right? 
so much of it, it's our, our, our parents would, they compared ourselves to someone else. They made us feel like, well, you made it. I'm not good enough. You know, you're going around your life thinking that you're not good enough, that if only you would be doing this, or if you had better grade, or if you were skinnier, if you were prettier, if you had more money, if you, then maybe I would get good enough. And a lot of people will tie exactly that happiness to that definition of like, well, I'll be happy if I get this. Well, I'll be happy when I'm married. I'm going to be happy when I have kids. Well, I'm, right now I'm not, but I'm working. No, no, it doesn't work like that. It really doesn't work like that. And one of the ways for us to really get a tangible tip of like, what can I do today? I want you to experience life today. I, if you are wanting something in your life, like I want you to go for that test drive, like you need to start experiencing your life and feeling what it feels like to be in that space. Because so much of my clients stop themselves because they've never even experienced this possibility. They don't live in a world of possibility, right? And at every single moment, you could choose a different choice. At every single moment, like this is your own movie. You're the driver, right? If you're not happy right now, if you're not aligned right now, don't do it right now because you're going to be happy. Trust us. Like you're in the right space right now. But after that, (laughs) (laughs) I want you to tap into this intuition that you have with yourself, right? And what we coached about an hour and a half ago was that being in alignment with whether we call it meditation, whether you call it just, it's going back within and saying, hold on here. Am I aligned with this energy right here? Does this feel good to me? You know, when you speak to certain friendships, right? You'll talk to some friends and you're like, you're like, wow, I, I, I don't, I feel cr- criticized. I feel this anxiety. I, I don't feel aligned with what that person is telling me. I feel really, really judged. Well, you know what? At every moment, recenter yourself, go back within and say, am I aligned with this? If it's yes, then keep going with this conversation and with this beautiful moment and be present to the moment. So many people are just actually not present to this moment. How many of you are probably texting at the same time? Go Like focus, stay here. You're here. You're supposed to get something out of this call. We're all here for, for you to get something out of it. So squeeze all the lemon of life. Like, be so present to what you choose to be in. So if we choose to be here, get the magic from it. And if you feel disaligned, if you feel like you're on a conversation and you're like, wait a second, this person doesn't have the same values as me, or this person's really negative, or I feel it's, it's a really toxic relationship. Well, again, at every moment, you could choose a different direction. You could choose to just say, hey, I'm going to let you go, but... I'll speak to you some other time. And that conversation just ends. Being able to actually guard your castle, guard your mind, guard who you let in is the most beautiful gift that you can give yourself. And once you start to really tap into what it is that you're aligned with in your life that makes you, you know, gives you that, that just that good energy and that good feeling and that you know that you're going towards your definition of happiness. Like, I don't, I love G that you said that before where it's like, we all find like, it's like over there, but no, it's like available to you at all moments, right? Like right now, I'm so happy to be here. I'm, I'm living it. Like, this is it. I'm so, 
I'm so just really, really content and grateful to be with here with all of you. And I really hope that at this moment, you could just stop yourself and say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm really, this is where I'm meant to be. You mentioned the words mind, like your mind, and you mentioned uh, stuff that happens in childhood. And one of the mic drop moments for me, even though for Stephanie, she just says things sometimes to me, to our kids. And it's like, yeah, this is just this thing. She said uh, the other day, we don't invest in our mind. And my mind, uh, the difference between the mind and the body with respect to trauma. Can you share Stephanie with, with us here, what you were talking about? Yeah. Uh, what I was, we were talking about um, being present in the moment. And a lot of people, when we, when we talk about mind, we sort of think like, oh, it's the thinking part of the brain, right? Like the brain is the mind and, but the mind is not just within the skull. Uh, the mind is in the body. The mind is in the central nervous system. Um, it's in your muscles, um, which is one of the, you know, when we talk about like one of the greatest drugs to ever be invented ever is exercise, right? Cause you, and like, you don't get any of the side effects and there's no long, you know, and there's lots of long-term data to support it because what happens is you get into your muscles, you get out of like, you know, I, I often talk about it. Like you get, uh, you know, you kind of drop beneath the throat. Like how many of us are so cerebral all day long that we're like running algorithms and strategy. And of course those things are all really important, but we're not, we, we don't drop into our soma. We're not so we're not in our bodies. And that's why I love um, exercise because when I am curling, let's say a bicep curl, like I am in my bicep. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm in the muscle. And so the mind is not just confined to, uh, you know, the, 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 the constraints of the cranium or the constraints of the skull bones it's, it's throughout the body. And this is why we see in, uh, you know, in trauma work, uh, whether that's EMDR, where we're kind of using, uh, movements like horizontal movements with that, which without going into the, like activate certain areas of the brain for recollection, or when we, when there's like psychedelic therapy, if you're looking at sort of the map studies, uh, using either mushrooms or, or other substances, what often happens is the body shakes, right? So you'll see the body is releasing a lot of the stored energy in there. Like it's the nervous system, like whether it's the central or peripheral nervous system. Um, and then of course the muscles that are innervated by it that are contracting and releasing and releasing some of that, uh, kind of pent up energy. So it's important, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, how we can control and how we can have a better, you know, mindset, you know, we hear this word like mindset a lot. It's really like, you know, to borrow from Philip McKernan, it's like mindset and soul set and body set. It's like the whole shebang. It's not like one, you know, it's not just about like looking in the mirror and saying, I am great. You know, it's not about, I mean, all the, that's important. Like you do want to think about rewiring the subconscious on, on a, on a regular basis, but it's about getting into your body. So this is, you know, I mentioned already, like why breath work is so profound, why tapping is such a great uh, therapy, because you are literally activating, like, you know, if you're tapping, let's say, you know, you're activating pressure points, like you're, you know, you, you're, um, you're activating like, no, like receptors that are, that are, um, that are going to help sort of bring you into your body. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I meant when I was saying that to you the other day. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> I, 
I want to shift a bit from happiness, even though it's related, because going into today, the theme of how to stay positive in in chaos or troubling times, I believe there is a skill, and I, I believe this is a skill that isn't really taught to us when we we're young, or maybe even as adults. And the skill, I would label it as resilience. And Jillian, how does resilience uh, relate to happiness? And is there a framework for learning resilience as a skill? And how would you even define resilience? So resilience is our ability to bounce back. So life is not always easy. And if we're wishing that, like we might as well be trying to be happy all the time because neither are possible. Um, So it's like something happens, a pandemic, a job loss, a divorce, health issue. And then resilience is how do we respond when those hard things happen? And so the thing about resilience though, is it's our ability to bounce back to where we were. But I would be willing to bet that every single one of us on this call today don't just want to bounce back to where we were. We want to grow from that. So flourishing or thriving is once we bounce back, how do we use that difficult time? How do we find sort of the silver linings through it to actually grow as a person through difficult things? And so part of happiness is like a muscle, right? Like you, it's like, if you want to exercise and be strong and fit, what do you have to do? You have to go into the gym on a regular basis and move your body. Same with happiness. If you want to be happy, you have to do things on a regular basis to make yourself happy. And then resilience and happiness are highly correlated. So what that means is that a lot of the things that we do to increase our happiness and resilience are similar and they're very much related. So like we think about back to March, 2020, when the pandemic first hit, right. And we all were told, okay, you have to stay home and you have to work from home and you have to homeschool your kids. And we were all like, oh my goodness, how are we going to cope with that? But look at fast forward two years later, and here we are. So resilience was how we dealt with that situation at the time. And also like I'm in Costa Rica this right now. And this morning I got out all this tech stuff. I've got a light in front of me, all this stuff. I never even knew any of this stuff before the pandemic happened. So resilience is how do I cope? And then the flourishing or the thriving is how do we learn from those things or use that information to, uh, you know, express different parts of ourselves, learn new things about ourselves. And so I think that it's, if, especially when things are hard, happiness can feel so far off or almost impossible, right? Like when we're going through a difficult time and what we know from research is that when we're having, like, it's about the match. So if, if you are experiencing the death of a loved one, happiness does not make sense as a response, nor would we want that, right? Sadness, grief, those are a matched emotion to what we're going through. And so when things are hard or when we're going through difficult things, sometimes trying to be happy can be impossible, but that's where resilience comes in because resilience is really about how do we cope? How do we navigate? What skills do I have? What people um, can I reach out to? What tools do I have? What can I learn to go through those things? And what it does is it makes it much more realistic because we're not trying to be happy all the time because that's not the goal. And so resilience is really a piece of the equation and both resilience and happiness are like a muscle. And the more that we use them, the more that they grow. Is part of that redefining the input, right? So I feel like all of us wear glasses. They're invisible, but they're there with a lens and a frame. And we, that lens is the narrative or the story that we, or the, the meaning that we attach to things. 
And if something difficult is happening, or there's a, a, a trigger event, or something in the news, or a headline even, or something you see on social media, we have a relationship with it. And then we tell the story of what it means to us. And then we're looking for the meaning of how it relates to experiences we've already had. And I'm curious how, uh, and this is open for all three of you. How can we change the lens? Like if, if you were literally imagining that we are wearing glasses that are invisible, how do we change them or even take them off to be less subjective and more objective to what's going on and to have less attachment to the things happening around us, because I think that's what's causing a lot of the suffering for people. I can I can yeah add a few uh, few cents to this conversation. Um, I think just kind of coming back to what Jillian was saying around resilience, I think habits are really important. So when we think about resilience or creating, you know, I I like to call this like cellular grit, right? Like how can your cells be so tough that no matter what you know, no matter what the environment they're in, what hormones they're bathing in, they're going to be really proficient at producing energy, let's say. Okay. And I think that part of that is what we repeatedly do. Like there's an Aristotle quote, I'll say it incorrectly, but it's like excellence is not, it's not a goal, but it is what we are, what we repeatedly do something like that. If somebody knows what the quote is, you can put it in the chat, but it's something like that, right? It's like this, um, this dedication and this surrender to monotony. And I know in like the, you know, the world of Uber Eats and Amazon Prime, it's like, you know, it's really, really sexy to like to squirrel and be like, oh, new thing, new shiny thing, new shiny thing. You know, oh, there's like a new uh, fitness thing. Oh, there's like a new diet where all I have is carrots. And then there's a new diet or there's a new thing where all I have is this. But it's like getting back to the foundational basics. I know it's not sexy, but that is how you build a house. You build a mental house, you build a resilient house by starting with a really strong foundation. So that might mean only eating the foods that you know are going to nourish your temple. It means moving in a way that brings you joy. For women, I would highly recommend getting into your hips. Like you are have a very powerful energetic source in your, and we can maybe talk Kundalini and all the energy and all, you know, the chakras and all that. We won't go there, but move your hips, ladies. Okay. Very, very powerful seat um, there. And so this like surrender to repetition, like that's what leaders do, right? Leadership and, and, and mastery is about repetition. It's about doing the same things over and over and over again. Um, and that's how, you know, we, you know, we've all heard of the masteries like 10,000 such and such hours. And I would say that the same is true when we're thinking about developing resilience, when we're thinking about develop, when we're thinking about how we respond, because remember, if we, if we begin to look at events or external stimuli as demands rather than stressors, then we can begin to shift the way that we respond to them. Right. And assuming that you have a strong foundation, so you are nourishing yourself chemically, you are moving yourself mechanistically, you know, you're doing some of the stress reduction techniques and you're not expecting to, you know, you meditate for one day and then you can go to like a 20 day silent ashram somewhere. Like we're just talking about like getting quiet for a few minutes, thinking hand on your heart, hand on your belly. Um, I think that that's how we can begin to overcome 
and how we can begin to develop that cellular grit, that resilience over the long term is by developing really strong habits. And, you know, to Sonia's point before, it could look very, very different for everybody. Like I like to lift heavy weights first thing in the morning. That might not be for everybody, right? Like someone might want to wake up and, you know, journal, let's say, or do some meditation or some stretches or, you know, whatever it is, however you like to express those habits are all going to like, there's a reason why you're attracted to them, right? It's like, there's a reason why I'm attracted to like lifting heavy weights. There's a reason why you might be really attracted to yoga, let's say, right. There's some therapy in that for you. Um, so that's, that's how I would start off the conversation. I have more thoughts, but I wanted to just give the opportunity for Jillian and Sonia to, um, to, to chime in. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. LMNT also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. I can go next. Absolutely. Um, to me, I think, you know, let's have a conversation of, like leaning into the fear, like just lean in, like, let's be the fucking warriors of this. Like, imagine, like, imagine if this is just our test to actually test you into who are you really? Are you really that person? Are you really like, imagine if right now, everything that's happening around you, we're just in your own movie. Like these are just like, now it's like, oh, it's the explosion scene, you know? And you're like this superhero and you're going to put your cape on and you're like, I'm going to do this. And you're going to go pick up your kids and like, like, this is your movie. Like, imagine if right now it's your test to be like, are you really that strong? Are you really going to stand up for this? What if they are telling you, no, you can't do this. Are you really going to live your life on your own rules? Like I speak of my whole thing is like, live your life on your own rules. Yeah. I understand there's, there's society and there's this rule and this, but what if, what if you can actually create the definition of your own life? What if fear was just part of it, but instead of going into fear and, oh my God, and making it stop yourself, let's shift that word to another word. I don't believe in fear. Like I genuinely don't believe in it. I actually really love it. It gets me, it turns me on. Like, I'm like, tell me I can't do it. Come, come. <laughs> like I'm so in, like I go, I go into warrior mood because if you're telling me that I can't do it all of a sudden, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm fucking in. I'm like, let's go. Right. Why? Because I'm going to explain it to you. The, 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 the feeling that I get that most people call fear right? Which is what happens? What happens when you get feared? It's like your, your heartbeat, you, you know, maybe your palms are getting sweaty. Maybe you're a little bit more kind of, I've called this excitement. 
I name this feeling of my heart's beating. Oh my God, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited. So I have no clue what fear feels like. I just don't even know. People go, oh my God, like, how do you do? How do you speak in front of thousands of people? I'm like, are you kidding me? This excites me so much. It excites me like a lot. Like I'm really excited, but that's maybe what you would call fear. I just don't know what fear is. I've never, I don't, I, it's not in my world. So imagine what kind of life is open to you right now. If you just fear doesn't really even exist, like you're in some movie, like this is the war scene. You're in the war scene. This is the scene. But after that, there's a romantic scene. After that, you guys are going to make out in the rain. Like it's going to be, it's going to be so sexy. You're going to love this next scene. And after that, maybe you'll have some babies or after that, maybe you won't like there's other scenes in your movie. There's other scenes in your life. Like this is just a scene. Just like ride it out like a fucking superhero that you are. I have a, a definition or even new relationship with fear that I want to share with everybody because, and it's completely in alignment with what you just said. I think fear has two sides of the coin. And I think fear is an, an important um, tool, but the two sides of the coin is that it could either be labeled as excitement or anxiety. And they're both around a future that doesn't exist yet. So fear, if you think about it, almost 100% of the time is something that's imagined in our head. And the only difference, because it's the same uh, physiological response, is do you assume a positive outcome or a negative one? And if you assume a positive outcome, we would label that as excitement. If you assume a negative outcome, we would label that as anxiety. And either case, it doesn't exist. It's, it's, you are using your, your creative imagination muscle like you did it when you were a kid, but as a kid, it was all excitement because there was no other option. And then these ideas got planted into all of us. Uh, and now we use words like I'm worried or what if, or I'm anxious about, or mm. these kinds of things. And we all do it. Mm. And anything that follows that statement isn't about the present. It's about the future. And we're making up a story. And I think we need to rewrite these stories. Like, what if it all works out, not only the way we want, but even better? What, what if uh, the thing that happens is, in Jillian's phrase, the best day ever? What, what if the exact opposite of what we assume is going to happen happens? And what if we operate from that place? How would that look? And I, I think, I think that... Um, People are afraid of fear, which is ironic to say, but I, I, I have myself a new relationship with fear. And this is after years of being terrified and understanding that anxiety label and all of that kind of stuff that I feel like fear is the GPS. I think that fear is our body signal of that or that we're in the right direction on the right path because the growth that we want is outside of our comfort zone. And the opposite of that is safety. And we all want that, or we have that need to feel safe and secure. And like, if we're not safe, we're scared. And yet, what if we're cool with danger? What if we're cool with that fear of the unknown? Because that's where growth happens. And if you look back on your life, every single time you've had fear and you've walked through it anyways, chances are there's a positive outcome that's made you a better version of you or made you grow or added a new skill, or you met someone you love like I did. Um, 
all of these things could, could make your heart pump. Uh, but that's the signal of the right direction, not the wrong one, unless there's a tiger in front of you, which is probably the, the primitive version of our brain. I want Stephanie to start talking about our, um, our frontal lobes, because this is an important conversation we don't think about. And um, another Stephanie-ism that, that she talked to our kids is we have a brain. It's the organ that we use to think, but we never use our brain to think about our brain. How many of you listening, watching here right now, take time to think about your brain? Have you ever done it? You might think about your heart. Oh, my heart's beating. You might think about your hands. You might think about every possible muscle organ. You might think about your reflection, your hair, uh, your skin. How much time and energy have you put into thinking about your brain? So I want to have a, a bit of a brain conversation because I think it's so related to all of this. So Stephanie, what is the frontal lobe? <laughs> <laughs> it's the only lobe that matters. No, I'm kidding. Um, so we... <laughs> So the brain, you know, when we think about uh, just from an evolutionary lens, of course, uh, when you sort of look at the gamut of uh, mammals, we sort of develop sort of brainstem up, right? Um, even even uh, babies, right? Even human babies, when they're born, they're just sort of like a lump of like cuteness, not super, <laughs> not a lot of like frontal lobe action happening. They're very uh, limbic. So lim like kind of midbrain, right? Like when they're cold, they cry. When they're hungry, they cry. You know, they, it's sort of like stimulus response. Um, so the, one of the primary, uh, objectives of the frontal lobe. So the frontal lobe is like your, what we would call your neocortex or new brain, new part of your brain. It's sort of the last, uh, part of the brain to develop, uh, in humans, uh, but call it a million, uh, maybe a hundred, sorry, a hundred thousand to 200,000 years ago, advent of fire started, you know, consuming meat. The brain went from like 400 or 500 cc's to like 1500 to 2000 cc's. Um, it's also, you know, when we kind of look at human babies, like they're the only, the only mammal, uh, that's completely like they, still need a lot of development before they're self-sufficient. Like you see a, a deer giving birth to a fawn and like within a couple of minutes, the, the, the fawn is sort of up and prancing around. Same thing with a baby elephant, et cetera, et cetera. So the main function of the brain, or at least the frontal lobe is to inhibit lower parts of the brain. So lower parts of the brain would be like our emotional system, our limbic system. So there's a, an area kind of midbrain that's really involved in the fear response, fear and anger. You may have heard of the amygdala. It's named after, you know, it looks like an almond. So that's sort of the Latin word for um, almond. And a lot of times when you look, when you watch the news, whether you watch the news on television or you get the news from Instagram, um, they are you know, I often like to say that it's like a race to the bottom of the brainstem with these, with these types of platforms, they are designed to get you out of your critical thinking, higher centers of your brain that inhibit those lower centers that inhibit those fear-based centers. And they will like the, I mean, if you just watch, I mean, I'm in Ontario, so we, I watch like, you know, sometimes I'll go into like, I just took my kids to the dentist uh, and we were in the waiting room and like CP24, which is like the all like 24 hour news cycle. Like if you just look at like the headlines, like they're master headline writers and they, the, the words that they use are literally designed to invoke 
fear. Because what happens when you invoke that fear response is you activate this sympathetic nervous system. You may have heard, like probably all of you are familiar with this. It's like your fight, flight, freeze, right? So what happens is your attention narrows, you know, there's, there's, you know, as Sonia was saying, like hands get sweaty, you know, pupils, uh, will change. They become, uh, they, be, they, they, uh, they actually dilate to be able to let in more information and you are literally focused. You become more singularly focused. That's what these news places, that's what these like news cycles, like CNN and Fox and like all the places, they all want you to just be paying attention to them. Instagram is the same way. Um, so when we're thinking about caring for our frontal lobe, that would be the primary objective. When we're thinking about how we can be more positive, how we can develop kind of back to this conversation around resilience, it's how do I strengthen my frontal lobe? Because the stronger that your frontal lobe is, the, the better a critical thinker you will be, you will be able to inhibit some of those lower fear centers and say, I see what you're doing, CP24. I see what you're doing, CNN. I see what you're doing, all these little places, right? And then you can and you can modulate your own response to it. If we all like, and this is kind of back to what I was saying before, we always want to think about external stimuli as demands, right? And same with internal stimuli, but we're talking primarily about like watching wars unfold and pandemics are doing this and that. And we always want to be really mindful of you know, what the objective is of the person on the other side. And so if we're able to, um, if we're able to strengthen our frontal lobe, so a couple of ways that you can do that, like super actionable items, honestly, I've said it already, but exercise best drug on the planet, even, you know, sometimes people say, Oh God, I've just had such like a crazy day. I'm just going to like sit on the couch and like watch TV, you know, Netflix and chill or whatever. Um, well, maybe not that I know that has a different meaning, but you know, like, you know, I'm just going to sit and like binge watch or whatever, uh, some show that's actually putting you in flexion, right? So you're kind of sitting in this like flexed position and flexion, like being kind of bent, like think of sitting at a desk or, uh, you know, being seated all day long, that also invokes that stress response. So one of the best things that you can do is to be in extension. <laughs> okay. Wah, wah. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> just reading the chat. Um, so we, um, so being in extension is really great. So actually something like going for a walk, you know, where you extended, like the muscles in your spine are extended and you have this like cross, like your arms and legs are like this cross crawl or this contralateral type of movement is really excellent for bringing blood flow to that front part of the brain, any kind of movement really, but maybe at the end of the day, you don't want to like go crazy and do a CrossFit or something, or maybe you do, which is all the more power to you. Um, but one of the things that is the, one of the most relaxing things to sort of invoke the parasympathetic, which is the opposite to that stress response. It's like the, you know, the rest, digest, stay and play uh, nervous system is to do things like walk. Uh, it's to connect with other people. Maybe it is the Netflix and chill, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, maybe it is, you know, toys, you know, and we will keep it X, we'll keep it like, you know, we'll keep it, <laughs> you know, as G rated as we can, but maybe there are, you know, ways that you can also invoke, um, that parasympathetic, uh, nervous system. So that's kind of the role of the brain, uh, in terms of like, it's mitigating its response and how you can sort of hack into it, um, to sort of help modulate your own, uh, chemistry. It's so powerful to know how this works and everything you've taught me, because I think of it as frontal lobe as the human part of me, 
critical thinking, higher level thinking. It can, it absolutely, the frontal lobe absolutely connects you to your humanity. If there's mm-hmm. nothing else you take from today, understand that your frontal lobe connects you to your humanity. If you are always watching the same Instagram accounts that are talking about death and destruction and the apocalypse or the news or whatever, you become less human because you are in lower centers of your brain. Like I was saying, it's a race to the bottom of the brainstem. And when there's those kinds of fight or flight moments, you also turn that part off because you're, you don't want to see a lion in the jungle and go up to it to try to pet it. And you want to be thinking, Hey, I wonder if I should start running or move you, you're, you want to get into automatic zone, but the same thing happens if you're with a partner or uh, I don't know, a family member and you get into an argument or a fight that part turns off. And now you're in that primitive part of you again. And it's like, um, you, we need to, and this is something you've taught me. It's like pause, reset, get back in there so you can think again. And that's so powerful, not only in a relationship, but in work and business and all these things and in decision-making. And I, I want to add one more thing. And I'd love Jillian actually to chime in on this too, because I'm sure you have a lot. I know you have a lot to say. I can see it in your face. Um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that um, I think is really important about that frontal lobe activation is empathy, right? So in a world where we want to be able to sit across someone, whether or not they have the same opinion as we do, and be able to understand where they're coming from, to be able to understand the struggle that they're currently having. I think that is also being eroded as well. And we can sort of see examples of that in the past two years where family members are no longer getting together for dinners and, you know, all of this kind of stuff, because there's an intolerance that is happening where there's a differing of opinion. And of course, Use of social media, I think, can be a really powerful tool. Sonia actually just did a really great training for my um, my high level mastermind yesterday on the power of social media. But if you don't know how to use it properly, it can absolutely divide and and kind of you know in some ways destroy. And, and I've seen this um, you know just from you know people telling me their their stories is like it can divide and destroy families because we're losing the ability to be empathic to sit and say there's another human sitting across from me how can i understand where this person is coming from and jillian i know you have a lot to say on that um i think it's i think it's so important oh i love this conversation it's it's so good and like i love it because awareness is the first step to any behavior change, right? Like we can't change what we don't know. And especially with some of the primitive stuff, we may not even realize that it's happening. And then to, to go back to what you were saying earlier, Gio, about like for what we focus on. So three days ago, I was on CP24 talking <laughs> about. <laughs> I mean, I love them. I love them. <laughs> Me too. Me too. But so here's the interesting thing. So I'm on uh, talking about tips to boost happiness. Right. And I watched the clip back. And so there's me in the big screen talking about tips. And then there's like a ticker at the bottom below me. Right. And it's like talking about the war and the pandemic and all the scary things and fires and whatever. And I thought, okay, if someone clicks on the TV, they have a choice right now. They can pay attention to what I'm saying, or they can read the ticker at the bottom, exact same show, exact same thing going on. But what we focus on is what we see. And then that affects how we feel and how we perceive that stuff. And I think it's really important to know too, especially with news and stuff like that, that it's not just a matter of like, we turn it on and then we turn it off and we go about our day. Uh, What we know, and this is research from Sean Aker and Michelle Gielan, they found that if we watch three minutes 
three minutes of news that we perceive to be negative in the morning, we have a 27% greater likelihood of reporting our day as bad six to eight hours later. So like the residue of that is so important. And for so many of us, like what's on in the background when we're doing our things throughout the day, what are we paying attention to when we're scrolling social media? It's not just a matter of like picking up our phone and then going on our day. And so having this awareness and stuff like that, exactly what you're saying, Steph, brings it back to that conversation because then we can start to change how we are seeing things, see things from other perspectives. And I love that you brought up empathy because I think that especially in today's day and age, empathy, compassion, grace, all of these things were so hard both on ourselves and on other people. And so really when we can bring it back to have that awareness of that, then it becomes, okay, how do we do something about it? And this is why I love that you brought up right at the beginning stuff about habits, because especially when we're having either a reaction, a response, like a reflexive response, if we've patterned a different behavior, then that's what happens. And so starting to tune in and just step number one is observing, right? Like, what are we watching? What are we paying attention to? How does this make me feel? And then we can start to build habits in the direction that we want to go. And if I could just geek out for one, you said one of my words that I love, you said reflex. So what is reflex? It's coming back to flexion. You are reflexing. So flexion, when we are born, of course, if you've ever seen a newborn baby, they're all kind of, you know, they're all flexed, right? And then as they sort of grow, the bones elongate, et cetera, et cetera, tummy time extensors, they get into extension. So this is when we're thinking about overriding reflection, right? Coming back to that sort of default programming, it's about getting into extension. And of course, even just thinking about your posture, right? Like, so I know there's some chiropractors on here. I see you, Sammy. So when you're kind of like sitting up nice and tall, right? Like this sort of extension, when you are extended and your chin is up and you're proud and you're broad, that's going to not only convey a different message, but you're going to feel different doing that versus kind of like coming to something like this and you, you know, you're turtling. So I I think that there's, um, I just, I love, I love the word reflex. Like it was actually quite late in my, um, uh, in my professional schooling where I actually put that together. I'm like reflex, like you are coming back to flexion. So I just wanted to just double underline that because I'm a nerd. (laughs) I love it. It's so good. We talked about happiness as a practice and maybe as a skill set and a thing we acquire. And something I uncovered on my journey that changed my life was discovering that confidence is a skill. Because I remember being in elementary school, maybe high school, and seeing people around me and thinking, wow, that person is so confident. I'm not that. I'm so shy. I, I wish I was born like that. And that's, I had this preconceived notion that it is genetic almost, that some people have this thing and other people don't. And I was often nervous, shy, very shy. Uh, the idea of, let's say, speaking on a stage was terrifying back then. And I learned in my uh, 30s, like I said, a decade ago, that confidence is an acquired skill and a practice. And there's so many things like that where you assume it's inherent or genetic or people are born with it. And it's not, it's a, it's a skill set that we can acquire. So I'm curious, um, Sonia, how, how would you teach confidence as a skill to acquire? I talk about the coaching that I had as well. <laughs> 
I'm, re- I'm reading your mind. This is this is like, first of all, it's so beautiful because I love how we're getting in from, you know, okay, awareness is the first step. Then we're going to get, give them specific tools. Like how do you, how can you clear your mind so that you rule your day? Right. Joe, like if three minutes of how we're starting our day is going to affect the rest of our day, we can look at, wait a second, I'm in power. I'm in full power. How do I start my day? What's my morning routine like? You know, if, if I get affected by social, by the news, then we know the first hour is yours. Don't touch your phone. Don't touch your phone. It's just so, so we can put that away and then you become the master of your day. You get to start these habits in these, in these routines. Now let's talk self-confidence. Again, it's completely a skill. And here's the beautiful way to do it. Remember we talked about fear before and we, and I loved where we're going with this, but the second step is what are we really scared of? It's the scare. It's the fear of failure. Again, let's make up another reality. What if failure doesn't exist? What if we decide that it's not failure, it's a learning experience, right? And the more you play this game of life and the more you stretch yourself, right? Every single day, you do one thing that scares you, one thing that stretches yourself, one thing that makes you uncomfortable. Because people have this thinking that everything's supposed to be easy. I don't know where they got that. I really don't. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Who said it was going to be easy? Like, this is like my thing all the time. It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be epic. It's supposed to be epic, but on the journey to epic happiness, magic, beauty, success, but all these big things that you want in in life, you're going to stretch yourself. Hi, welcome. You're going to stretch yourself. It's not going to be, you know, easy, but that does not mean that it's not going to be fun. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be happy, fulfilled, enjoying, like loving this whole journey too, because it, the whole thing, goals and, you know, we're coaches like oh, goals. It's who you're becoming in the pursuit of your goals, right? This beautiful conversation that we were just having about empathy hit so hard because it's like, who are you in the midst of this, right? Are you the person who is coming and, open to having conversations that are uncomfortable for you, right? Imagine like, I want friends that are different than me. I want those. I'm actually more interested in the conversations with people that are different than me. Like stretch my mind, blow my mind out. What do you mean? Tell me about your culture. Tell me about your differences. Tell me about how you process that. That's highly interesting to me, but get interested in other people. You, you see what I mean? The more you get interested in different types of people, the more your life starts to be super fulfilled, right? So to get back to confidence, here's something that we want to do. What we want to do is since we understand and we know and we're aligned with the fact that confidence is a skill. Okay, well, how do you acquire skill sets? How? How do you get better at something? Drop it in the chat. Let's have a chat. How do you get better at something? You want to learn the piano. What do you do? Right? What do you read do? A, you want- read a book about pianos. No, <laughs> right? <laughs> what do you do? Right? Practice, practice every single day. Boom, you wake up. I want to get better at something. Well, you actually have to get into action. You can't just speak to your mirror about it. That's helpful. It's nice. and But then you actually have to do the work. Right? 
It's great. We're setting up the mindset, but then what are you going to do today? What's one step every single day? What's one step? And the better you get out, you actually do it. You celebrate that win. Write this down. Celebrate the win. Write it down. Let it sink in. Celebrate the win. Because you're not celebrating the win. You, I want 100,000. Cool. You get the 100,000. I want 200. I want a million. For what? You haven't even celebrated. Yeah, one kid. When's the next kid? One thing. I lost five pounds. That's not enough. I want 10 pounds. Like, celebrate that shit. And do, do you see what I'm saying? And through these, stretching of yourself, getting a goal, hitting it, celebrating it, your body feels comfortable. If you, oh my God, look at it. I'm getting there. What do you think that brings? It elevates your self-confidence. The other thing that I, one last thing, and then I know like this is all of our game. So we're all excited about for this, but who do you surround yourself with? Right? Who do you surround yourself with? I love surrounding myself with epic people that are like living it. And that will allow you, like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, right? You're in the wrong room. Stretch yourself, go in a bigger room, have a, have an, have another conversation and that will get you uncomfortable. And then you'll take a step forward and then you're going to practice and then you're going to create the habits and then you're going to win and you're going to celebrate them. One of the, one of the things about um, who you surround yourself with. I've, I've heard a lot of people say things like social media is evil as an example. And I believe just like money where people might think money is evil. I don't think it has uh, an energy to it. I think it's neutral. I think it's a tool. And I think social media is a tool and you are the narrator of the story. You get to, you get to set your settings. And if, you know, there's that sort of almost cliche quote, now you, you are the average of your five closest friends. You're also the average of your five Instagram friends, because if your feed is full of people complaining, then you're going to be negative or you're going to feel that negative charge. If your feed is full of people like us, and that's like, I, I realized recently, I, 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 we all live in a bubble. The, the social media bubble, your feed is your bubble. What is in the feed? Because you're choosing who you're following. No one's forcing you to follow people. You can unfollow people. Uh, and I choose to surround myself with people who dream as big as me or bigger. I follow people where they're very inspirational or motivational. And this conversation is an example of it because we, we tend to be affected by our environment. And if you're surrounded by people who are doing big things, not just talking about it, but actually taking action and doing things, it's great to model. And I think confidence and, and action and all of these things start with the choices we make about who we surround ourselves with. And social media is free from that perspective to choose who to surround yourself with. Julian, and G, I if I can interrupt for one quick second before, like guys, this is your community. Welcome. You're amongst people with all the same mindset. So I would suggest that one, you change your, your name to your actual Instagram handle. And then I suggest you guys take a story, take a picture and follow each other. You want epic people? Hi, welcome. You're in the right space. <laughs> But like you're in a space of people that want to have positive, happy lives. Do you think that that's not the kind of community that you want to be surrounded with? So change your, your name on, on the Zoom to your social media handle so that we can go and follow you and so that we can be surrounded by epic people like you. 
I love this. So I mentioned at the beginning, I'm in Costa Rica right now. And the reason I'm in Costa Rica is I'm speaking, uh, the United Nations has a university here called the University for Peace. And on Saturday, I'm giving a talk about technology and happiness. And I was just building my deck this morning. I'm like doing the final touches. And the first slide I have is actually... Um, it's a picture from the Spider-Man movie. It's in Spider-Man, but I think it's originally a Voltaire quote. And it says, with great power comes great responsibility. And to me, that's how I see social media, right? We can use it as a tool. Like we're talking about to find and connect with people. Like at the beginning when Gio said, where, is, where are you located? We are all around the world collectively here together. So it's a tool. At the same time, it's a slippery slope into, like Steph said, comparison-itis, which I vote is a word. I saw someone seconded <laughs> it, so we're good. Um, or feeling like we're missing out or we aren't doing enough. And especially when we start to compare our entire life that we live to somebody's snapshot of the filtered perfect life that they are choosing to share, it can go into a situation where we're starting to feel anxiety or stress or whatever it is. And so it's not that social media, like Joe said, is good or bad. It's a tool and we have the responsibility and we're talking a lot about action and things like that today. And I think that that's a key piece of it as well, because what we do, what we surround ourselves with, who we surround ourselves with, that's up to us. And we're the one that has to take that action. And if we don't, then what happens is Instagram algorithm just shows us what we, what they think we want to see. And, you know, we started this conversation about happiness. And I think part of happiness is really starting to learn what happiness is for us because when we were young in school, I don't know if anyone did, please put it in the chat, but did anyone learn how to be happy? Like we learned math and we learned science and we learned history, right? But nobody taught us how to be happy. And then we have, and Sonia was talking about like, how do we learn these things? Well, advertising, marketing, movies, TV, they create the story of what we think happiness should be. I'm doing air quotes. And so no wonder we're confused. No wonder we don't know. And so that's our responsibility to figure that out and then to take the action to do what we want to create the life that we want to live. Okay. First, you win so many bonus points for doing a uh, Spider-Man quote. I thought you'd like that on my show. But the cool thing about that, because the the quote is with great power comes great responsibility. And I've discovered the not opposite, but the flip or the inverse is true with great responsibility comes great power. And one of, one of the patterns that Stephanie and I've noticed is that people want to um, give up responsibility to other people. And there's this conversation she and I've been having around self-agency and stuff. I'd love for you to, jump in on this, on, on the power of taking responsibility. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty heady subject. Uh, I think there's a lot of different verticals that, um, that play into it. Uh, I think it's, uh, we were talking a lot about it earlier as well, when, you know, we had, let's say parents who weren't, uh, self-regulated themselves, who weren't able to hold space for us in some way, or didn't meet our needs in, some way, you know, as adults, if we're not careful, if we're not uh, conscious and aware of what's happening, we are basically, you know, adults with, you know, the emotional maturity of like maybe a 10 year old, maybe, maybe a 13 year old, you know? Um, so I think that there's a couple of uh, different things, at least patterns that I have been uh, observing. And I think that the pandemic has really been um, in some ways like a social experiment to see this. But one of the things that um, I'm, I'm 
I'm going to be preparing sort of like a long, like nerd sermon on this, um, <laughs> on my podcast, because it, there's a lot of layers to unpack, but I think as adults, we abdicate our own choice. We abdicate our critical thinking to someone who, you know, I'm using air quotes here, like knows better, right? So we might do that with our bosses. We might do that with the government. We might, uh, you know, if someone says jump, we, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know if every, any, any of you ever heard this as a child, but you know, when my mom, let's say she would scold me for following something that, you know, some bad influence was doing, she's like, well, if they all jumped off a cliff, would you do too? If they all said jump, then would they say how, would you say how high? And it was like, at the time I was like, yes, (laughs) you know, all I want to do is to fit in. Right. And I think that, you know, as adults, we still have that, right. There's that, you know, again, kind of coming back to that, um, that kind of neurobiology, we want to be accepted in the tribe, right. To be, to make a choice that is different from maybe what the majority is doing, you know, there's this sort of sense of like, well, I'm going to get kicked out. I'm going to be ridiculed. And, you know, we've had examples of that in the past two years where people have been called names, where we have people who have been ostracized from society um, in some ways. And I think that um, one of the things that I think is really important is to recognize first to be able to kind of coming back to habits and self-regulation and to be able to, you know, get that frontal lobe online, we have to, we have to see when there's sort of fear-based, um, uh, scheming going on from coming in from anywhere. Um, and then we want to be able to say, okay, how does this a measure up with my own values? Does this make sense maybe for me, or does this decision make sense for my family or whatever? And then what are the, what, what evidence tells me that is true? You know, I think so often, um, and I've been guilty of this as well. Um, and this is kind of like one of the habits that I'm like completely working on, uh, giving up is like checking to see what, like what's happening in the morning, what's going on, you know, what happened overnight in Europe and, or, or wherever. Um, and I think that, um, when you're able to amass real evidence, not just like sound bites, but like real evidence, uh, I think that that will inform, it usually informs a less drastic, um, I'll say usually, and I mean like double underlining usually, uh, because of course there's always exceptions to every rule, but you know, usually uh, there's a, there's the devil's in the details. Like there's a lot of nuance. Whenever you hear sort of sound bites, whether it's from the news, the government, the whoever, the whoever. Um, it's usually oversimplified because some of those people in power think that we're all dumb. Um, so they will just sort of tell you the simplest thing that, you know, they'll, they sort of get rid of all the details, but that's where all the beauty is. So um, I, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent and I want to stay on, I want to stay on target. But what I, what I really mean by this is I think that it's really important that we learn to think for ourselves and to be able to determine what is true and what is not true. And you'll find most of the time, the truth is in the middle, maybe slightly left, slightly right, slightly up, slightly down, you know, but it's somewhere in the middle and this sort of, um, 
polarization where we see this like massive vacillation from like, you know, if we we're using politics, we might say the left or the right, the Republicans, the Democrats, the liberals, the conservatives, if you're in Canada, um, I'm trying to think labor party. And I forget the other ones in the UK. Um, but you know, you see this like massive, like swings, uh, that like the, what people say is often, you know, I saw in the chat, uh, they will tell us their slant on what's happening. And I think that that's very true. So how can we, how can we begin to amass data because data never lies data always data always over your feelings right even though there's emotion right we all can have the emotional imprint that something or some event or some law or whatever um, might have on us but you need to be able to amass data and sort through it and i think that most people are just really willing to abdicate their responsibilities um as adults um so I know that that's kind of, um, it can be, it, it can be, there's a bit of controversy with what I'm saying. I recognize that. Like, I know that that can be a little controversial. Um, but I think that we've been taught not to think for ourselves and not to advocate for ourselves and people who have, you know, it's like the witches are the one, like the witches, you know, get their heads shaved and burned in the, burned in the city center to make, you know, examples of them. And there's, you know, current examples of that today, I think as well. Jillian, how does responsibility relate to autonomy? Mm. So autonomy is um, our ability to choose things for ourselves. So the the fact that our thoughts are self-chosen and self-endorsed. Not to say that we can control everything. That's not it. It's about focusing on the areas of our life where we do have control and choosing to give more of our attention and our focus and our resources there. So quick fun fact before I get to your answer. Um, Autonomy is more of a predictor of our happiness than how much money we have, how good looking we are, how popular we are, or how good our sex life is. So it's a big player and it's, it's a major thing. And so I think that part of this idea of autonomy or responsibility comes down to the fact that we actually have to do something and it's not easy and it requires hard work. And the, the challenge with that is that that's not a sexy thing to say that doesn't look good on a quote card and it's not easy. At the same time though, when we commit to that, the outcomes that we get in the end are much more um, meaningful or profound. And like even, I'll give you an example. So I wrote um, my PhD about happiness, right? So I had to write this like 400 page thesis about happiness. And one day I was at my computer and it, it was like, a ter- it was like terrible, um, a really hard, long months of this. And I thought, you know, the irony of this is not lost on me. The fact that I'm writing a dissertation about happiness and I don't feel happy right now. Right. At the same time though, there's, there's two pieces. There's the, how I felt in the moment, but, or, and at the same time, my goal was so much more meaningful because I had that grit that Steph was talking about before. We do hard things to get something in the outcome and it's not easy the entire way through. And it requires hard work and it requires personal responsibility. It requires us to be accountable to the things that we say we're going to do. And yet at the same time, when we do those things and we do hard things at the end, how we feel is so much more profound. And so when we can look at taking personal responsibility and recognizing that we get to be a co-creator of our life as opposed to being a passive consumer of our life. At the end of the day, like we only have one shot at life, right? We get one chance. And so how do we want to live that life? You know, do we like, there's this book um, called the top five regrets of the dying. 
And this palliative care nurse, she spent years with people on their deathbeds and she sort of came up with the top five regrets. And one of them was, I wish I had let myself be happier. And I think about that a lot because, you know, when we get down the road, what are we doing and what are those choices that we're making right now? And sometimes the choice that is going to make more of a difference requires work. It requires sacrifice. It requires all of those things. But at the end of the day, that's what makes it more rewarding. And so instead of focusing on the short-term perspective of how we're feeling in the moment, yes, that's a piece of it. And when we have that purpose, that greater thing, when we're clear on why it is that we're doing and what it is that we're working towards and why that is, then it can make the journey that much more um, satisfactory when we get to it in the end. And that's when we start to really feel like I talked about the definition of happiness, right? When we get into that contentment, into that achievement of whatever it is that we're doing, that goal attainment, um, that responsibility is really what leads us to happiness because it's not just this in the moment fleeting thing. It requires hard work, effort, and our autonomy is what allows us to choose to put ourselves and to point the needle in that direction. It reminds me of a, a another brilliant thing Stephanie said to me, this is all within a week, all of these knowledge bombs uh, around the fact that we don't often sacrifice the present for the future, which is something that is so important. Can you share that? Yeah. Sometimes I, I, I'm on a streak and I get all these like a, a one-liners. And then other times I'm talking about, uh, look at this cute kitten on Instagram. So I'll just, <laughs> it's not always, you know, but, um, uh, <laughs> I'm like, look at these cats, they're sleeping. And, you know, um, yeah, I think, um, when we think about success, when we think about goal attainment, um, one of the things that we have to do is we have to sacrifice the present for the future. So, Maybe we wake up one day and we don't feel like working out, but we know that we want to get stronger. We know that we want to have the capacity to have better glucose uh, disposal. We know that we want to have more energy. So we sacrifice the feeling right now um, of not wanting to work out for the goal that comes in the future. Like I want to be a, a doctor of happiness and I have to write this dissertation and I don't feel like doing it right now, but I'm going to sacrifice how I'm sacrificing right now for a better future. And I think that that's true across. Um, I mean, you, you can think about that personally, you can like, you know, your own personal uh, goals, whether that's like, you know, body composition goals, energy goals, uh, that can be uh, relationships, right? Um, it can be uh, your career uh, and how you want to go. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, most humans, I think throughout history, um, or at least we'll, we'll say uh, like democratic and, um, uh, you know, modern civilizations, we all have this sort of core shared value of sacrificing the present for the future. Like, why do we send our kids to school? Not because they want it. <laughs> like any, any mom knows at any given day, sometimes they don't want to go to school and they put up a really big fight about it, but we're sacrificing the present so that they can get a better education. And then the thinking goes that they'll be able to have some sort of higher level education and get a better paying job, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's an important consideration sometimes when you are sitting in front of your thesis or you wake up, um, and you don't feel like working out or you wake up and you don't feel like doing your meal prep or what, you know, whatever it is, you don't feel like going in front of and doing a presentation because maybe you're hormonal or you're, you know, whatever it is, or you just don't feel like it. Uh, you had a bad sleep the night before. Think about how you can be working towards a better future uh, in each, in each scenario by sacrificing uh, right now. 
Love it. Yes. <laughs> Sonia, give us all a challenge to do something that scares the shit out of us. I, I feel like you have direction and guidance around how to do that. And I want everyone listening and watching to take one action step in the direction of their dream, whatever that is, especially if the action step is scary. Please give us the direction. I love that. I'm absolutely going to do that. The first thing I want you guys to do first is take a pen and paper. Very, very important. And we have to get clear on what are your core four values? What do you value? Because what I loved about what Jill and Steph said is that, you know, to sacrifice the present for the future. If once you are clear on what are the four core values that govern your decision-making that govern your life, all of a sudden you start being in line with your life. So I'll give you an example. My core values, my number one core value is impact. That's my game. That's my word. It's like, I'm so aligned with that. What does that mean? That means that every decision that I take, if it's impactful, if it's going to impact a lot of people, if it's going to, I'm in, right? Another value that I have is fun and experiences. Anybody that knows me is like, yeah, obviously. If it's like live event, ooh, retreat. Da, da. So why do you think all of my coaching at one point, I'm taking you at a retreat. At one point, we're going to go on a live event because I want you to experience your life. Like it is a core value of mine. Another value is family, tribe, community. I'm obsessed with that. So when hard decisions come about, where I actually have to take my social and take a stand on things. If I come to a decision, which is a hard decision, right? In life, it's really, really beautiful to take stands for what it is that you believe in and to stand for other people too. And I'm a big, big person like that. Like I will stand for my people. That's very, very much part of my identity. But here's how I go to that. I'll go to what do I value? I value community and I value our next generation, meaning I'm highly, highly, uh, I'm really, really committed to being there for our next generation of leaders. So our girls, our sons, like they need us. So for me, when I get asked to be, you know, to, to stand on a certain subject, I will stand and I will be public about it. And I won't mind if people come at me because I'm armed with it because I'm so aligned with what it is that I value. Do you understand what I mean by this? Once you are clear on what it is that you value, so that's going to be your homework number one. That's going to be the most important homework. What do you value? What are your four core values? If you guys are not clear on that, go to my website, coachsonia.com. I have a free tool. You'll get to your four core values. It's highly important. It's going to govern, govern, that's an English word, yes, the decisions that you make in your life. So that's the first thing, because every decision has to be in alignment with your values. Then it becomes easier, right? Because I don't want to just throw you into here, do something that scares the shit out of you. You'll be like, what do you mean? Maybe you don't even value that, right? So I want to give you some real pillars so that you could say, is this in alignment with my values or is this in disalignment with my values? So once you're clear on your values, then here's what we're going to do. You have four categories that we can talk about. Let's talk about your health. 
Let's talk about your mindset, your relationship, and your business. Pick one category. Just pick one, any one you want. Which one will you focus on in the next 30 days that you really want to get to a big, big transformation, a big move in that? Maybe you want to work on your business. Maybe it's time you work on your health, whatever it is. And then now we're going to go into the fun part, which is what you asked me, G, is to give everyone a nice takeaway and a nice homework, which is once you're clear on that category, I want to lose weight. I want to eat better. I want to have a better relationship with my kids. I want to have a more fulfilling relationship with my partner, whatever that goal is. Then we're taking back the journal and you're going, okay, well, what's the first step? What are you going to do today? Today. It's 3.29 in Canada, Montreal, Eastern time. Wherever you are, there's still plenty of time. What will you do? You have to take an action step today. And what I would suggest, G, is take that action step, take a story and tag us on it so that we can hold you accountable and say, yes, you won, right? So one, find your values. Two, choose a category, anyone you want. Three, one action steps you're gonna take today. And three, celebrate that win and hold yourself accountable and let us hold you accountable. Brilliant. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Dr. Stephanie. Thank you, Dr. Jillian, for a conversation that the four of us would have had anyways if we were out for dinner. And now we get to hang out with hundreds and thousands of our friends paying attention to. Uh, Love all of you, appreciate you, and thank you. With a map of your dream life in hand, it's time to take it to the next level. One of the ways to be gifted and to create big change in the world is to surround yourself with change makers already impacting millions of people. These heroes exist among us and we're going to introduce them to you. Are you prepared to become the change maker you were destined to be? See you next time as our next set of guides will show you what it takes to become a billion dollar change maker. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast better with Dr. Stephanie is for general information only and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare providers, advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only.